Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Hey, do you have a cool website? Have you been writing a blog for forever? Want to monetize your cool blog? Let me tell you about Ezoic. It puts ads on your website and then pays you for it. That probably sounds like it's difficult to do, but I promise you it really isn't, and Ezoic can help you make it happen. Visit rpgbot.net slash EZ, that's the letters EZ, to get started. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the RPGBot.News. I'm Randall James, and with me is Tyler Kampstra. Hi, everybody. And Ash Eli. Let's get ready to rumble, I guess. Is that the voice you're going with? <laughs> I'm, a, a little, I'm just excited. Oh, okay. Fair <laughs> enough. Tyler, why am I excited? Uh, well, tonight we're talking about the smash hit World Wrestling RPG. No, I, no not we're not. We're not doing that. <laughs> no, uh, tonight we're going to talk about Candela Obscura, which is the new RPG coming from uh, Critical Role and Darrington Press. So the Quick Start rules have just released, so the internet is abuzz, and uh, you know everybody's going to find out what's in this thing, and we're going to talk about it. We're going to look at the themes, the mechanics, all the good stuff, and you know hopefully get some people excited about playing the game. Yeah, it looks pretty dope, I have to say. All right, so I'll go and ask the question. I'm not a person who's glued in to most Critical Role stuff. The content is awesome. I cannot make time to consume it, uh, and that is that is who I am as a person. I I don't think I realized they made their own games. Yeah, this is a relatively recent phenomenon. So they spun off Darrington Press mostly to publish board games. But amid the OGL fiasco this year, they announced that they were working on their own RPG. And in fact, they're going to be publishing two this year. So the first one is Candela Obscura, which we're going to talk about tonight. And they have another one upcoming called Daggerheart. From what we got in the original teaser, Candela Obscura is supposed to be for like short arc-based plays. So like you might play it for a few sessions and then do something else. But I don't know if that's exactly what they hit, but we'll get into that later. But yeah. They make board games. They're pretty well received so far. And um, from the looks of Candela Obscura, I, I think they're on a good track and they're doing well for the RPGs too. Yeah, interested to see what they do with Daggerheart. It's, uh, they said it's for more long-term play thing. And I'm wondering if that's the, what the... Because everybody's speculating that they're going to switch systems for their next campaign, their main campaign. So that might be the system they use, which would make a lot of sense. I think they did actually announce either today or yesterday that they're going like their next campaign is going to be in Candela Obscura. So this is going to be. I thought yeah, that was this- a spinoff campaign like I that that because they do side campaigns sometimes. So I don't know if that's part of their main campaign, but it I don't might know. be uh, the headline I saw was that their first non D&D campaign was going to be Candela Obscura. But hey, we will have links in the show notes to the official answer. So yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Whether we're right or wrong, we're right, because we answered it in the show notes. Yeah, Fair enough. Also, between the two of you, I bet you're right. 
So, yeah. <laughs> as one of say, us is right. I'm with you, fellas. <laughs> All right. Just to touch on, like, so in relation to that second RPG, uh, both games are supposedly using what they're calling the Illuminated Worlds core system. All that I know so far is it is a dice pool system. And until we know more about Daggerheart, um, it's hard to say how much similarity there will be between the two. I expect that there will be some overlap in the resolution mechanics, um, but it's it's basically... You know, you have some things that give you a pool of dice, you roll a bunch of D6s, and how well you do determines the outcome of your checks. Yeah, the system kind of has a lot of similarities with Vampire, the Masquerade, in that you build your your traits and your skills are basically tied to a pool of dice that you get that you create through like different pips and stuff. That's very vampire. It's like it's like powered by the apocalypse though in how it deals with success because you're rolling d6s and you can get a failure a mixed success uh, a full success or a crit success based on how many sixes and like how what your total is essentially so it is it is kind of like a marriage of those two those two systems all right so i, I want to ask for a little bit of clarity because i think this is the stuff folks love so i've got a handful of d6s and i roll them Am I only counting sixes? Is it like some systems where also if I'm rolling a one or maybe even a two, it might also count against me um, like glitches in Shadowrun, this sort of thing? So you're rolling all of the dice uh, that you that is given to you by whatever skill you're trying to use. And you take the highest dice that you roll and that counts as what level of success you got. So on a uh, one to a three result, uh, it's a failure. A four to a five is a mixed success, which means uh, you accomplish what you wanted, but it comes at a cost. On a six, that's a full success, uh, and you get what you want uh, without any major unintended consequences. If you roll multiple sixes, you get a critical success, which means you get what you want and you get something something juicy extra. Cool. Yeah. That's interesting. That winds up being a, a really cool curve, especially as the number of dice goes up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I like that the... Like it in a lot of dice pool games, as you add more and more d6s, like the next die up is a diminishing return most of the time. But that added mechanic of the possibility of rolling a second six to get that critical success really makes advancement feel very satisfying. So even as you're rolling three, four, five dice, every die still does feel like it matters. Yeah. So, hey, let's talk a little bit about the themes because, yeah. I know us. We can't help ourselves and we got straight into the mechanics, but let's hit on some yeah, of the yeah. themes because it's pretty cool. <laughs> so, Ash, uh, you're kind of our, our resident expert on Call of Cthulhu and uh, cosmic horror gaming. Uh, how does this hold up? I would say, yeah, this is definitely cosmic horror. It's leaning into that sort of vibe. It like it definitely takes some inspiration from Call of Cthulhu in terms of its overall vibe, as well as I would say... Uh, the world of darkness, especially Hunter, is what I would say. Because uh, Hunter, uh, like, there's Vampire, which is one of the ge- games in the world of darkness canon, and there's Hunter, which is you know self-explanatory. You're hunting supernatural creatures. And that's basically the premise of Candle- Candela Obscura, is that you're part of a secret society that. Uh, takes care of supernatural threats and stuff like that. So we've talked about in the past on the podcast, the Vison game from Free League, which also is the idea in Vison is that you are aware that there are these monsters, there's these supernatural beings in the world, 
uh, and you're going out and a lot of times actually helping to placate them more than uh, solve something or, or actually kill them. Because if you try to kill them more often than not, they're going to kill you first. Um, that also holds up in Cthulhu as well. In this game, yeah, do you get the feeling you're meant to fight beings or are you more meant to investigate, figure out what's happening and try to find a, a soft resolution that doesn't involve you die? So it's kind of like a mix of the two, I would say. And the main difference between it and uh, Vison is Vison is like, it takes place in our our world, essentially, right? Uh, Candela Obscura does take place in its own fictional universe, kind of like a vaguely fantasy universe, if I'm remembering correctly. It's it, it really leans into that Lovecraftian type of idea where it's like a city on the sea, you know, corrupt, corrupt sort of uh, institutions. It's got that sort of, you know, port side haunted town feel, which is very Lovecraftian, <laughs> yeah. very Lovecraftian. It also uh, reminds me a bit of Dishonored in the video game in sort of like its aesthetic because it is a kind of like a steampunk type of uh, system, which is especially since Talus and Jaffe, I can tell had a hand in creating this because this is all stuff that he really likes. <laughs> uh, yeah. So like there's multiple secret societies, there's corrupt governments, lots of uh, wheeling and dealing uh, in addition to this sort of secret underworld of magic and supernatural stuff. Yeah. I thought the way that magic is kind of handled in the setting is kind of weird. Like if I understood the timeline correctly, three years before the start of the game, a war ended because they, they discovered electricity. Like magic has always been around. Like there are scars of magic on the world around you. Like if you look at the map in the quick start rules of the city, there's this huge bottomless chasm in, in the, uh, the bay outside the city. That's just a permanent waterfall down into this infinitely deep chasm. And they have all this stuff. And like, they mention the citizens of the city seeing the Candela Obscura lighthouses with their uh, spinning astrolabes, which are supposed to keep magic at bay. And yet at the same time, there's like three different groups in the book described as uh, these people are responsible for making sure that no one knows magic is real. So it's like it, it has all this stuff around town that's clearly magical, clearly there to deal with magic. Like magic did this massive thing. And yet no one believes magic is real except mm -hmm. for the secret societies. Although, okay, in my mind, that actually makes perfect sense. If we think about, you know, going back 1500 years, how many things did people look at and say, like, obviously, you know, that's just a god dragging the flame across the sky or like, you know, there's a goddess that lives or there's a spirit that lives in the woods. And if we treat them well, then the animals will frolic and like, that'll be happy. Like that made perfect sense. There's magic, but we can't control magic. Right. That's not something human beings usually can do. And occasionally you might respect an elder that says, oh, yeah, I can control a little bit of this. Most people are just going to say they're kooky. <laughs> yeah. OK, that makes sense. I buy that explanation. Yeah. Infinite so, uh, waterfall, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Don't fall in. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so so that secret society thing I hit on a bit um, really plays pretty heavily like the candela obscura is a secret society within the world itself and your job is to protect society from magical encroachment from basically a parallel dimension if i understand things correctly mm -hmm. like 
magic is real bad. It causes this phenomenon called bleed that can cause like unpredictable bad things to happen to you. So in general, magic getting out would be bad for everybody. So Candela Obscura is all about preventing that. And of course, there's like the secret police who are kind of on your side, but also work for the corrupt government. And there's like the quick start rules include the obligatory like evil genius scientist organization who's like oh yeah we're gonna we're gonna use magic for our own nefarious purposes and uh, don't care about the consequences to other people because they're not us so like you, you start with like you're in a cool secret society there are other secret societies to use as foils and antagonists and like this this is a setting rich for storytelling some really cool ideas in it yeah for sure i'm excited to see what they do with it I guess on that note, is it clear to you folks, do we know what the licensing will be on top of this? Will folks potentially be able to put third-party content out? I'm not sure. I haven't seen anything about it. Um, we only have the quick start rules. Like the the full game isn't out yet. So I, I don't even know if they've thought about that. Yeah. Um, well, I'm, I'm very much willing to bet that they have thought about it. Whether or yeah, not. I hope <laughs> so. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe they'll go for the orc license. Ah, cool. Okay. Well, I guess that's something to look forward to as more details come out then. I was right. Talos and Jaffe did have a have a <laughs> hand in creating this document, uh, additional game design. So yes, I was right. Ash <laughs> <laughs> uh, knows the stuff. Isn't that yep. really what matters here? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Ash being yes. right? Yes. yes. It, that's the only thing that matters is that I'm right. <laughs> Don't you forget it. Uh, just kidding. Well, uh, how about we jump back to the mechanics? Let's do it. All right. So we we touched on the dice pool a bit. Um, We covered success, failure. There is one other thing in the dice pool. You can have what are called uh, illuminate. So your dice pool can also have gilded dice. So if if an action you're using is gilded, which is like you get a couple of them and they're your favorite skills, basically, you get to roll a die of a different color. And if you use the result on that, die instead of anything else in your die pool then you can recover a resource now sometimes that means you are picking a worse die result than you could possibly choose in order to recharge that resource so it's like if i roll three dice and i roll a six a four and my gilded die is a three it's like i could take the failure and recover a resource or i can just choose to succeed and that makes like interesting decisions every time you roll that dice pool so it's one extra cool spicy thing on top that i like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. all right so let's talk about characters because uh this is rbg bot we like characters we do <laughs> all right so from the looks of things there are essentially classes and then within each class there are two specializations it's not like D where you need like a balanced party of classes and you have to like have every role covered because everyone can have every skill but your choice of class and specialty gives you some special abilities to choose from and also gives you essentially role-playing prompts which um, if you hit those role-playing prompts during a session you get experience points yeah, that's a that's another thing that is kind of reminiscent of Powered by the Apocalypse, in that uh, so with Powered by the Apocalypse, the way that you gain experience is by answering questions at the end of a session, like did we do this, did we do that, that kind of stuff. So it is it, power, there's a reason why like people call Powered by the Apocalypse a very story driven system, 
uh, where role play is kind of the number one thing that you're doing. This seems to emphasize that same style of play where we're going to be focused less on like combat, deep combat mechanics and more about inhabiting a character and how that character morphs my worldview and that kind of stuff. We talked a bit about, you know, you know, those role play hooks and there are actually different classes in this system classes in quotation marks because <laughs> um, they are uh, they're they're pretty bare bones but like each there's uh they're basically like archetypes and then you can think of each archetype has two what we would call subclasses uh so the archetypes are face muscle scholar slink and weird and then for the subclasses the faces have journalist and magician Muscles can be explorers or soldiers. Uh, scholars can be doctors or professors. Slinks can be criminals or detectives. And weirds can be mediums or occultists. So kind of like typical like archetypes that you would see in D&D, essentially. I, I love the, the slink idea, like that dichotomy. Okay, you're going one of two directions. Either you're <laughs> the criminal or you're the detective. And there is no in-between. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um we we only have like minimal details on any of these currently. There are pre-gen characters in the the quick start rules. They come with like a subset of the available abilities for each uh each class and specialty. So we don't know exactly what all of them are going to do, what all of the options are, but like you get a little taste and it looks real good. Yeah. Mhm. One thing I also really enjoy about the classes is they also give you equipment. So like on your character sheet, you have five checkboxes with a different item. And as you play through an assignment and but essentially each assignment is an adventure. So as you play through an adventure, um, you can pick equipment as needed. You get three pieces of equipment per assignment. And instead of like, oh, uh, I pick at the beginning of the session and guess like, yeah, you just pick them as needed. Uh, and it's this interesting, like Deus Ex Machina resource management thing. I'm not a hundred percent sure how that's going to work out in play, but the idea is neat. I essentially allows you to three free choices. So like, it's not just like, Oh, I, I want to do this and like this. So you do have to kind of think ahead a little bit because like, Am I going to, uh, do I want to uh, use one of my freebies to get a bleed, say I have a bleed detector with me so that I can detect magic in this area? Or do I want to save that uh, that choice for some body armor later because I think I'm going to get into a scrap? So it really, it, 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 it does have that cool limiting factor where you don't have to think ahead in the moment, like at, at the beginning. Uh, of the game and not know what you're sort of going to be doing. So you can, it still allows you that freedom to pick while you're doing the thing, but you also have to think about, okay, what am I possibly going to have to need later on? So it has that cool limiting factor. Hey, Billy, why don't we tell them what we're about, man? So we're here to welcome you to the Madhouse Chronicles. It's a talk show with myself, Billy Morrison, and, me, and I was this man, Prince of Darkness, and we watch and react to the maddest internet clips. What do we discuss, Ozzy? Drugs, rock and roll, aliens, all that kind of shit. 
shit. Drugs, rock and roll, aliens, and all that kinds of shit. Come and join Ozzy and myself. Visit OsbourneMediaHouse.com to get special access to... Come to, on! What do you say? Do you think it's the wildest show on the internet? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so let's talk about how we kill these characters. Because that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I will note it's it's not nearly as lethal as Call of Cthulhu. Like there is still a bit of the like slow, gradual mark march towards death, uh, and characters do seem fairly fragile. But it's not like Cthulhu fragile, where one shot from a pistol can take you from full health to dead. Yeah. <laughs> You effectively have three HP pools, like there's three groups of skills, it's essentially physical, mental, and magic, and you have matching HP pools, and if you're reduced to zero in any of those pools, you're unconscious for the remainder of the scene, and you gain what's called a scar. Now, there, there's a surprising amount of text in the Quickstar rules about how to handle scars delicately and politely. Because this is a horror game, like you're going to get into things like... Uh, body horror trauma disfigurement things like that um and the quick start rules do give a lot of space to explaining like here's how to handle these things in a way that's okay um because you know being being scarred in such a way does not make you inherently a bad person and the the horror genre and society at large has historically treated people who suffer from disability mental issues things like that you know, essentially treated them as other and ostracized them, made them the subject of jokes and things like that. So, uh, you know, be careful with those things. Uh, and yeah, take the advice in the quick start rules to heart. Like, even if you're not actually going to play this game, it's it's surprisingly good text. Go check it out. Yeah, it it handles that sensitive topic pretty well. But yeah, uh, scars are mostly just presented as a way to add further depth to your character as just a way to give that some sort of uniqueness. And some of the scars that they give are really interesting, like especially the bleed scars, which are the scars that are associated with magic corruption. Like you could get eyes that don't blink or purple blood or elongated fingers or elbows that bend backwards or constantly exhaling smoke. It's very cool. (laughs) Yeah. And then the example of a physical scar is like you walk with a limp come on guys <laughs> yeah that could be better yeah <laughs> it sucks though it does, it does suck. suck to walk with olympia yeah <laughs> so i mentioned the like gradual march towards death so one thing about the scars uh they're permanent they don't go away there is intentionally no mechanism in the game to remove them you can have three scars and if you ever get a fourth your character is dead um so like you you have essentially three extra lives to play through the game and have bad things to your character. Uh, they do suggest if you want to like retire a character early and have them go away for a long time to recover from scars, they might come back having recovered. But in the normal course of a game, there is no way to recover from scars. So your character will gradually move towards death every time something really bad happens to you. Correct me if I'm wrong, I believe another way to die is if all of your trackers, all of your health trackers, your brain, your body, and your bleed fill up and you can't add to any of them, you also die. But I have to double check that. Um, I think at that point you would, well, you'd at least get three scars, so (laughs) death would be pretty likely at the very least. Yeah. 
let's say so healing is also super interesting like recovering from damage costs the entire party resources which is an mm-hmm. interesting thought in a way the party is another character you are a member of a group called a circle and that's the name for your party and you you give yourselves a cool secret society name and you get a cool base you get to choose a, a team ability that everybody shares which is really cool um when everyone gains effectively experience points at the end of the session it's applied to the circle not to the characters individually and when you fill up the track everybody advances together but the circle has a number of resources of three different types equal to party size plus one you can spend like one of those resources to heal and that will heal a character back to full but like if everybody is injured you might deplete your party's entire resource pool to heal everybody. And then it's like, okay, what are we going to do on the next assignment if we don't level up? Because those resources only reset when the circle gains a level. Yeah. So there's no like long rest mechanic to recover that. It's literally you have to manage your resources until you level up, period. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, it's literally getting... what doesn't kill you will make you stronger or kill you. Or kill mostly that one. <laughs> yeah um also one thing we forgot to mention about the scars thing which i think is really interesting is when you get a new scar you have to remove a point from one of your actions that you have and add it to a different action showing that your character changes over time based on their experiences uh which is such a cool mechanic and it really shows how characters can rapidly change from one instance to the next based on their history and how they approach certain, like a person who gets beat up a lot is probably going to change their, uh, their, their focus on like, you know, being the face. Uh, Cause now they've got some nasty scars all over their face to maybe being someone who just beats the crap out of people focused more on physical <laughs> stuff um, to defend themselves. And that's really cool because like basically the class that you begin the game with will be completely different than what you end it with. This is kind of a clumsy comparison, but it would be like in D&D if when you drop to zero hit points and then you were healed, you woke up and were like, okay, I'm dropping one of my wizard levels to take a level in fighter. Yeah. Like it's that significant of a mechanical change considering like th- there's nine skills. Yeah, it's crazy. Like, yeah. it's a bold choice, and I want to see how it works in practice because it's cool in theory. Yeah, uh, I mean, the good news is you're only going to do it three times, though. That is <laughs> true. true. <laughs> yeah, you're only going to do it three times. So let's talk a little bit about the advancement mechanics. We hit on this a little bit earlier. Um, Ash, you were right to compare it to Powered by the Apocalypse, where it's um, story driven and you advance by answering questions at the end of the session. So there are a few questions. I think there's four of them and every, every question that's answered. Yes. The circle gets one experience point and then you can get zero, two or four experience points, um, depending on how many people succeeded at their like character specific role-playing prompts. It's like, your class and specialty will give you those prompts on the bottom of your character sheet and you want everybody in the party to hit those within a session. Yeah, so these illumination keys, these role-playing prompts, uh, a good example for the criminal, uh, the three that are there so far, do something illegal, make a deal, stand up to authority. Wow, do something illegal feels like cheating. (laughs) That's so easy. I jaywalk. (laughs) That's all I ever do. (laughs) Yep. 
Or th- another example would be for the scholar uh, or the scholar slash professor, mentor and ally, reference research or make a plan. <laughs> All right. Okay. For, for Okay. The role was weird. The specialty was a cultist. Uh, so for a weird act bizarre, that's one of the prompts. That's one of the illumination <laughs> keys. Okay. Is it really? Wait, hold on. <laughs> no, I'm not kidding. Consult, yeah, consult arcane text, collect oddities, act bizarre. What does that mean? <laughs> I mean, it's, Look, it, what's bizarre for a weird? <laughs> spell it without the Y. Oh, Lord. <laughs> well, no, weird is not spelled with a Y, my friend. Isn't it? W- it is not. Y- no, oh, it's geez. spelled like actual, just the word weird. Huh. Maybe yeah, I saw M A G I C K and just assumed probably. that everything else was going to be. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I can imagine though, just like being, you know, being a geek from the circus, just literally walking around with like a box of frogs or something like. Ah. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> Which again, yeah, you know, towards your point, that's pretty vague, but it's going to encourage role play. Yeah. And I think as the game runner, if you're looking and it's like, okay, look, you ate a frog last week. You can't eat it. It's not bizarre anymore. Like we're used to it. Give us something new. Like there's going to be a real opportunity to encourage exploration of the characters and really grow the party. Uh, And as part of that, because you are, you are a team, you're working together. Ultimately the circle is going to get an identity attached to everybody trying to meet their individual prompts. So yeah, I I think this is going to be a lot of fun. Um, I, I think we skipped over one thing with the circles. So the the circle abilities have uh, like they have a big impact on your play style. So like we've talked about the individual characters having the RP prompts and stuff. When you're forming your your circle, you should take a look at these abilities and figure out which ones match your group's play style. Because the the abilities effectively impact how you work with the mechanics. Like one of my favorites is Forged in Fire. Um you have the ability to spend drive points, which are, are your characters like uh, do stuff better points, essentially to aid your allies. You give them a die when you spend a point of drive. And if you have forged in fire, if they fail the check anyway, you and that character both recover a point of drive. So like you choose that ability. Now your entire party works by everybody being super helpful to everybody else and being free with those drive points because they're a less precious resource. So stuff like that really like really sets the tone in like in a group of oddballs where you have the weird constantly trying to one up themselves from, pre- from the previous session, having that shared ability really like bind the group together can be really useful. Hey, so who read the one shot? I did not. Oh, oh, it's uh boy. I read it. It's okay. Do you remember back in uh, World War One? Uh, mm-hmm. There was a thing Obviously. where they <laughs> back in world war one there was this thing for a while where they were painting the faces of watches with radium because radium glowed in the dark but it wasn't bright enough that you could see it in the trenches yeah you see where i'm going with this already yeah. uh-huh. <laughs> okay so this one draws on some uh, real world themes of worker exploitation and corporate irresponsibility and rabid capitalism it's like it it, it explains all this up front, like, hey, content warring, body horror, and worker exploitation, and a couple other things. Like, I'm not going to spoil it, because I really want people to go play this. Uh, but the the intro is like a full column long 
read aloud box text, which like sets the scene of the city on a major holiday. And like, you get to see all these cool inventions. And it's like this, this post-war town that's thriving and celebrating and embracing the new technology of electricity. And you could see this wonderful spectacle and then a grisly, gruesome death and then investigate how this all came about. And like the the authors drew from real world sources of people being kind of awful and turned that into a horror story. And honestly, I, I liked it a lot. I don't have enough of a grasp on how the mechanics work in play yet uh, to say like whether or not the adventure will be good to play. But I really enjoyed the story. And yeah, so, yeah, for the real life atrocity, uh, you can look up the Radium Girls. I believe that there's a uh, like a nonfiction writing trying to account for everything that happened during that time. And yeah, it's terrible. Yeah. Content warning. Body turns, out, turns out the early 1900s were not a fun time to live. No. Uh, <laughs> luckily, you didn't have to do it very long. <laughs> Oof. Oof. Is that too soon? I don't know. I, it's uh, been a hundred years. Uh, let's just not go back. That's yeah. Yeah. Let's not go back. Things are good yeah. now. <laughs> please. Let's not have another world war. Please. please? Yeah. Thank you. So actually I want to call this out at the end of the quick start guide. Uh, the very last page is titled as touchstones where they're recommending you engage with media that they engage, that they feel inspired them to produce what they produced. And I actually want to name a couple of the things that are here uh, because some of these things we fit on, some of them I just think are very interesting. Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, Frankenstein, the Sherlock Holmes series, Hellboy, Constantine, The Prestige, Penny Dreadful. Great show. The Bioshock series, Bloodboard and Elden Ring. And as far as TTRPGs go, Blades in the Dark, Vison. Yeah, I could see that, definitely. Yeah, so cool. I mean, that's, I yeah, think that's we, an awesome idea to attach all that media to it and say, like, go read these books, go read these graphic novels, go watch these movies, like, use this for inspiration to build stories in our world, because that is how we built this world. Yeah, uh, the, and I think they call that Appendix N in, in like, the D&D design world, because back in ye olden days of first and second edition appendix n had a similar list of like here's the things that inspired this but whereas uh today's dnd appendix n is largely the same and it's like fantasy fiction from the 70s and 80s yeah that's a much more contemporary list and i mean those aren't obscure sources those are things that a lot of uh a lot of nerds are already very familiar with and probably enjoy a whole lot mm-hmm. All right. Well, folks, thanks so much for being with us today. If you've enjoyed the show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcast and rate us on Spotify or your favorite podcast app. It's a quick, free way to support the podcast and helps us to reach new listeners. You'll find links in the show notes. You'll find affiliate links for source books and other materials linked in the show notes, as well as on rpgbot.net. Following these links helps us to make this show happen every week. In retrospect, we could have told people this is coming out in late 2023. Oh, shoot. (laughs) <laughs> but we just did it so we're we're good just there you go yeah you folks never said when it came out did you listen to the end of the uh episode yeah <laughs> yeah it's a it's in the stinger because we're idiots yeah we're I was professionals that part out, but... <laughs> yeah we're professionals <laughs>